Welcome, everybody. Welcome to the show floor. We are podcasting live from the show floor at NAM 2020. My name is Chris Lose. I am the columnist for LD at Large for PLSN Magazine, as well as the designer relations developer for Ayrton Lighting. I am sitting here with Gigi Padron on my left of Gigi Lights, the Hi. lighting designer for Gigi Lights. And on my right, I have Emily Bornt, the owner and designer for Leaps. Uh, we have decided to sit down and have a conversation because we think that uh, all too often people talk about the gear and the technology and the, the dizzying pace of the of the tech of lighting. We've decided to have a little conversation today about uh, an article that I had written recently called Chasing the Dragon, which uh, Gern did a great job helping me out with. And the, the main idea was how, how exciting it is to start off a tour with a, with a grand opening and a big bang and all the anticipation and all the preparation that goes into the first show. And then after the first show, you go, you pack everything up, and then you go to the second show. And the second show never has the same, the never same feeling as the first show and how you're always chasing what I call the dragon. Uh, I believe that's a drug term, but we'll, <laughs> we'll kind of skip over that analogy there. And how we're always chasing that high, uh, that theatrical high, if you will. So I wanted to start with you, Gigi. Uh, what was the first time that you felt that high? Um, pretty much instantly, on the first day of the first show I've ever run night for. It's a feeling you can't replicate. It's just the way it is. What show was that? It was a ska band from my hometown called La Ruda Serska. And I knew all the songs, you know, they were friends of mine from, you know, a long time ago. We were all kids at, at that time. We were all like 17, 18, so, yeah. So on top of the being excited about it, you also had the, you didn't know if you could do it. Oh, yeah, no, <laughs> definitely could not do it. <laughs> but uh, somehow it happened, and I had no choice. It was house light, go. So you come back up. Yeah. And what, uh, what sort of a show situation was that? Was it a small club? Is it a backyard? No, it was a small club. They were actually pretty big, that band at the time. Um, late 90s, that was the ska vibe. They were pretty big. I mean, at the time, for that size band, it was pretty big. I mean, 400 people cap, probably. And did you know you were going to get into lighting at the time? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> you, you fell into it kicking and screaming? Um, yeah, basically, uh, I went there. I said, hey, I'm going to do this. And there we go. And then you say you're going to do it. Then do it. That's it. Was it just because they didn't have anybody else to run their lighting for you? And they're like, well, you're, you're well, here. You get behind that console and hit some buttons? Pretty much, yeah. They didn't have any money for... <laughs> A lighting person. I didn't. I was an art student at the time. I had no knowledge of lighting, but I was willing to do it because it looked and sounded ex exotic and exciting. So I'm like, well, you know, you don't have to pay me because I, I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> so that was a fair trade. That was a. <laughs> that was a, yeah. That's amazing. Was, and yeah. how about you, Emily? What was your first time uh, hitting the dragon, if you will? It was honestly not even doing lighting. I used to play an instrument as a kid, 
So I was at an all-city concert and I had a solo on my saxophone. And I remember stepping forward and just that feeling, that rush, that adrenaline, where you're almost out of your body because you're just so focused on what you're doing in that, that moment. So for me, that was like the first real live performance, this is what this is, sort of feel. And then um, as far as like lighting, uh, my first lighting direction gig, my, our first show was at Coachella. So Lady Gaga was in, Lady Gaga was playing like across the field and we're playing some tent. So like, you know, there's, there's enough people there that I'm freaking out. We haven't had any rehe- like real rehearsals or anything. We're just jumping straight into a Coachella performance. And it's that, that like ball of energy that just sits in your gut until they start. Cause you're just sitting there on standby, like, all right, don't throw up, don't throw up, this is fine. And I feel like every show I have, the first one, there's that, that anticipation of like, all right, okay. Whew, all right, and then as soon as it, it starts, there's just this massive release that is just overwhelming, and it just, it's amazing. Just that anticipation builds up such a bigger release for me. I time. love the nights when I get that release. I love that, just uh, the, re- the release into the calm, into the, your presence when you're actually a part of the show. Yeah, like hearing that house lights go cue, and just everything just kind of goes dark in the room. It's just like everything just kind of sweeps right out of you. At least for me. And how was that show, your baptism by fire at Coachella? <laughs> uh, people liked it. Um, I was so nervous that I honestly don't really remember too much. Oh, that is a great one to throw over to you, Gigi. Do you ever, have you ever been driving for like an hour and a half and then all of a sudden you realize you don't even remember the last... <laughs> 40 miles. Yeah. <laughs> Do you get that feeling during shows? Yes, completely, yeah. yeah. When was the last time you felt that? Well, the last, the last and first show I did with uh, My Chemical Romance in, in December, that was that feeling. Of, it was the first show of the reunion tour, so it was very stressful. As you said, chasing the dragon, I was puking on the sidewalk. As I arrived to the venue on the morning, I was so nervous. Even with 20 years of doing lighting, you still... I still get very, very nervous. Uh, and then the show started, and then it was the end. I don't, I don't remember. I mean, I cannot remember, but I don't remember really. It happened so fast. It was already the end. It was a 90-minute show. Yeah, yeah. Just, uh, it's just a blank space in your psyche. Yeah, because at, at that time, during the showtime, it's so much anticipation going to a first show, even more on a reunion show, that you, you just, you, you give, it's not even me there, you know, it's a different part of me uh, running the show. And uh, I tried to put all my emotion aside to be the best LD possible. And just sometimes you dissociate it with yourself. So you just go to a different place in your head. Yeah, yeah. You literally dissociate. Dissociate it, yeah. It's completely. just your body is running the show, and yeah. Gigi is sitting there watching uh, some, the show. Yeah, yeah, sometimes I look at the show, and I'm like, wow, that's cool. That looks cool. I should do that. And then, <laughs> like, oh, yeah. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I just did by mistake every time. Yeah. <laughs> do you think that's part of why we do this is because we are fans of sitting out in front of house ourselves, and we want... Our brain just separates so that and lets our body do it so that the other part of us can enjoy the show? Yeah, I think so. I think it's an out-of-body out of experience in, in some ways. 
And I would imagine you would know if you had messed something up, but if nobody comes to you and says, ah, you blew that cue, then even though you don't remember it, they're just... You know, when you, you, when you fucked up something, you know. <laughs> but you, you, keep the, you keep it for the end. You keep it for, a, for the after. Like during the show, it's a different... You need to put your emotion aside. I mean, your personal emotion, not the show emotion. Like I see myself as uh, the filter between the band and the audience. So the emotion that the band produces on stage with their music goes through me, and then I reprodu reproduce it as far as colors and shape. So you kind of need to be clear in your head of all personal emotion of tiredness or angst or nervousness, because otherwise you're not a good filter. You know, filter must be neutral. There's a lot of decompartmentalizing, and you just mm -hmm. you have to check everything at the door. And it's not about what you think or what you feel. It's the show. It's what the artist wants. It's what the show calls mm -hmm. for. And everything, all of your needs kind of get put on a back shelf until you're on the bus. Are you getting better at being able to walk that walk when uh, somebody tells you that they have a different opinion than yours? <laughs> oh, yes. Are you getting yeah. better at that? Yes, absolutely. I used to be really bad at it. I always wanted to be Mr. Right. I wanted to be correct. Your ego 100% has to go away. You know, like, if there's something that you feel strongly about, absolutely, if it's appropriate, stand up for that. But there's some times where your opinion and your paycheck's opinion are not the same. And they're not sometimes paying you to challenge them. Sometimes they enjoy that, and it depends on the artist. And sometimes they, they might like the interpretations, but typically you're paid to put on the show that they want. And if you're able to have those conversations with them to change their mind or shift some things around, then that's amazing. But sometimes they're just not willing to listen. And you're like, you know what? You don't really, that's, that's what you're paying me for. So. I think there's a fine line, though, between checking your ego at the door and checking your professionalism at the door. Yeah. There are certain times where I have felt the need to at least make a, a stand, like, no, I'm, I'm right, I'm gonna do it the way you wanna do it, but you're, sometimes I'll do it passive-aggressively because I want them to see that what they've presented is either not logistically possible or that they're just wrong. Yeah, I mean, and then the terms of it being logistically possible or impossible, it's important to explain that we can't do this particular thing because X, Y, and Z. However, an alternative to do something similar is this. You always have to be ready with alternatives, whether it's something technically the same or, or similar or something that'll give the same idea without being technically as difficult. Um, and it's a matter of opening that dialogue with them and being able to say, all right, I see that you want this. Why do you want this? Are you sure that's how you want to portray that? You know, like maybe this is a similar way or a better way or different way that I'd like to you to think about. Mm. But I mean, ultimately it is their decision. Well, that brings up a great question. Gigi, have you ever been called out in the middle of a show by an artist who has said, look, I said before that I want it this way and you're not doing it the way I want it to be done. Have you ever gotten called out in the middle of the show? No. Oh. I get called out for different things. Okay. I like said no strobes. Okay, for, sorry. Or more audience lights. You know, it's a when they want more audience lights. Okay. But never. I've, so you've gotten critique in the middle of a show. No, I've never had that. Oh wow. Not in the middle of a show. No. Before, after. Okay. But not during. 
because most of the time I have in-ear monitors and I don't have talk back in there, so they can't talk to me. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, but, uh, yeah, no. Well, that's amazing. How about you? Have you ever been called out in the middle of a show? Uh, yes. You're smirking as if the answer is yes. Uh, I mean, I don't want to mention the artist that I worked for, but he's very particular and has talkback mics the entire crew. And I had a mic at front of house where whenever he would talk to me and give me notes, I had to lean over, you know, while running the show manually, no time code, and go, yep, got that note, sure, next show, awesome, yeah, copy that, like, and respond. Otherwise, he'd, he'd give the note again, and it would be something like, I, I want more graphics in the video, more graphics, more graphics, and then three shows later, all these graphics are there, and then he'll be, come over during, like, a, a bridge when he's not singing, and he'll go over and go, I never want to see a circle on that screen again. And just like, and you're like, okay, cool, I just spent three days putting graphics in, and no more graphics, okay, cool. Does that throw you off your game? I would imagine that's, that's nerve-wracking. You have to be ready for it. You have to accept that that's another layer to your gig in that situation. It's not always how every client is or every show, but you have to be ready for that. And it definitely upped my game of being able to grab stuff and have things available and building my show file into different ways so that I could kill entire layers of video. So I'd build in layers. So if he didn't like something, I could pull out a specific thing instead of having it built in and like merged in with everything else so that I could separate different things and you know I'd have choruses triggered on different handles and like through the command line of a cue stack so that if he didn't want to light the audience as much that day I could pull that handle out of that and it would still go on with it's like just knowing how to break down the structure of the song and the different parts he was looking for and just being able to dissect it and change it like you want more audience lights today we'll nudge that one you want less we'll just you like stewing the soup as he's eating it. You're yeah. like, yeah, I, I, less, less pepper, I'll take the pepper out yeah. of the stew. I, it, it never belonged in there in the first place. Yeah, I, he would just walk over and like, that change needs to happen faster. I don't like that color. Just constantly like, I don't like this, I don't like that. I liked that, that was a cool thing there. Let's keep that. And it was constant feedback during the show. Otherwise, he'd forget about it later. That is a whole nother skill that I don't know if I could develop quickly. That is... A lot of patience. That's a whole nother level to running a show. <laughs> Live critique while running a show. And just taking the note and saying, yep, you'll have that tomorrow. Next show. Copy that. And then that, oh. the next show, he might change his mind again. I, I would imagine that has to take a toll on your, on your, on your ego and even your emotional well-being. I mean, you're, you're really in a stressful environment. It's important to be able to separate them. It's not personal. He's not attacking me as a person. He's not attacking my work. You know, the, the artists, sometimes they get very attached to their work and they get very um, invested emotionally, financially. And so they become extremely invested and they become emotional. And you need to understand that it's not about you or what you're doing wrong. It's about how they're not seeing what they had in their mind. And it's about being able to separate the two. And like, there's some days where you, where you have to sit down afterwards and go like, man, all right, that was, he de that was like a personal gut punch. But don't take it, you can't take it personally. Unless they come up and go like, you're fat, your breath smells, your haircut's silly. But I mean, it's, it's about this show. What is the most stressful show that you've run? I know that you've had to wear heels when you didn't <laughs> want to wear heels. You've had a dress code. Yeah. You want to talk about that? Or is, that is that even in the most stressful shows no, that you've done? Not at all. Dress code is fine for... It ties the tour together. I, I, I don't mind it, except when I have to run a runny field, like, 
in the sand with eels. It's not comfortable, but it's not the most stressful situation. Nobody's ever asked me to wear heels. I would be very stressed if, <laughs> if I was asked to wear heels during a show. Yeah. <laughs> no, that was not stressful. I think every first show of a tour is very stressful because I designed the show myself. I programmed the show, run the show. It's my baby. It's a one-person show. You know, I do my plots. I do the everything. The budget, everything. So the first show is always, always very stressful for me as is what I had in mind. It's going to work for real, you know. But it's good stress. You know, as I said, the last show I did, the morning of the show, I puke on the sidewalk of the venue because I was stressed out of my mind. Uh, but, you know. What is your preferred way to get critique after the first show? Is it, do you want critique immediately or do you want somebody to take notes for you and then you address them the next day? I usually know when, at the end of the show, if I should go see the artist or not. Because a show, it's not only the lighting, you know, if the artist is not feeling well on stage, is it the sound is wrong. I mean, you know, immediately if they want to be talking to you and talking about that right after the show because they're excited or they don't want to talk about it because they had a bad time and they need to unwind. So you kind of you, you know. You, you kind of know. Are you emotionally drained after, after a show? Oh, yeah. Every show. I'm, yeah, empty. How, how about you, Emily? What is, when is the best time? Well, apparently you're getting them live during the show, but on another show, what would be your preferred way of receiving critique from a show? Uh, are you your own worst critic, or do you, uh, do you oh, need absolutely. somebody else's? There is, there is no perfect show file. There's no perfect programming. There's always something that could be nudged or cleaned or improved upon. Um, so I'm constantly going like, oh, that could happen. Like, that could do. I'm constantly like, and I keep a notebook at front of house, and I'll just write down the cue number and like look at this or like bigger or whatever note I have. Um, and then directly after the show, I feel like everyone's kind of got that, especially the first show, everyone's got that post-show adrenaline of like, all right, we did it. It was great. They laughed. They loved it. They, they applauded. It was successful. Um, and then they start looking at Instagram and YouTube and all those social media things that they do, and that's, that's where they get a second round of opinions. So I'd rather have them sleep on it, see different things, and you know, not just go off of visuals and not just feelings and opinions from standing inside of it. So once they kind of look at stuff and they're like, actually, you know, that didn't look so terrible or feel so terrible, or go like, you know, actually, that is darker than I wanted, or you know, having that visual feedback can be dangerous, but also it kind of helps back up what they're thinking and even take away some notes, because they might go like, actually, that's fine. Um, so I would really prefer like during sound check or something like that. That I way agree. I can get through my notes and my things and work my morning out and then take their notes on top of that. Because sometimes we have the same notes. And if they're coming up in sound check, I'm like, oh, that course. I'm like, oh, I already fixed it. Do you want to see it? And then it, they feel better because they're seeing that we're on the same page. So the notes become less and less if they know that you're anticipating some of the stuff they are. Uh, those are uh, magical moments when you when uh, the notes align. I, 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 I do cherish those moments. Emily brought up a very important topic that I want to discuss with you, Gigi. Are you getting Instagram feedback? Of course, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're getting artists coming to you with their phone. Oh, yeah. And a picture that somebody yeah. took on oh, their... every night, yeah. On mm -hmm. their 
Google Pixel. Yeah. They're like, why do I look like this? Uh, well, they not. It's never that way. I'm, I I don't know. I don't want to brag or anything. It's always very complimentary, because in 2020, you need to know how to do lighting for a cell phone. It's part of your job. It's part of our job now, to for them to be represented the best if the best lighting possible on a Pixel. Google phone from 98, you know, like a flip phone. It needs to look great. So it's a skill that you learn. And yeah. I've gotten uh, artists' assistants come to me with a dim photo that they took. And then they say, why is the, why is the guitar player dim? And I would go, well, because the guitar player is not playing there. Uh, you know, somebody else is singing at that moment, so he was probably dim because he wasn't performing or soloing at the time. Just to see their eyes gloss over. Like, no, I asked you why he's dim because I want you to fix the problem. <laughs> yeah. and, and I can't explain to them, like, well, I'm lighting for the actual show. Not, I'm not lighting for every single camera at the, at the same time, for every single person. If we were to light everybody all at the one, all at the same time, it would get you'd just become numb to the fact that there there would be no emotion there. There would be no you can't solo or highlight somebody if they're all lit at the same time. And I've been finding it I've been finding it difficult to find the words to explain that that they're dim because they're supposed to be dim, and that's a decision dim, yeah, yeah. that we made a long time ago that they can't all be lit all the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I have another problem with with that. I mean, the, for me, Instagram and Twitter, it's fine. But YouTube, for example, last show I did, the show was anticipated by a lot of people, right? But there's no filming of it. And the day after the show, I went on YouTube because the band do it. So I do it too to, you know, control. <laughs> and on that very crappy iPhone video, very crappy at 2 million views in 48 hours. 2 million views. It was 4,000 people at the show, but actually 2 million people saw it through the lens of a cell phone. So that's where I draw the line. <laughs> so somebody sat through the whole hour and a half? Not even sat. It was just very <laughs> moving all over the place. <laughs> 2 million people saw that video. Yeah. And of course, you were critiqued on not the 4,000 people that were there, but the 2 million that saw it yeah. on YouTube. Yeah. Mm -hmm. From a, a weird angle, from a weird focus, from the back of the venue. I mean, another big representation of your, <laughs> of your work. I wish there was a way to explain that if you can't judge the sound guy the way it sounds on YouTube, you can't judge you can't, the yeah. lighting di director how it looks on YouTube either. Sadly, that's not all that works. Have you had to do any shows where you're lighting for YouTube yet? I mean, I've done broadcast shows for actual cameras and stuff, but I've never specifically gone like, all right, what is this? There's always that consciousness in the back of your mind that there will be people's cell phones and that is how they watch it. Right. Um, so there's always that awareness to light it for that. And when people are holding up their cell phones, I'm constantly looking and like, all right, cool. Ooh, actually they're looking a little hot or like maybe they need, you know, like, kind of seeing other people's cell phones and going like, okay, maybe I do need to pull back on whatever. Yeah, I do um, that too. Yeah. 
You're scanning people's cell phones while oh, running the show. Yeah. There's no shortage of them for sure. Yeah. Uh, especially when uh, Solo comes out and you can just see. Uh, one of the artists I used to work for would get very upset and actually stop a show if cell phones came out. And then he would say, like, look, if you guys keep your cell phones away for the whole show, I'll do that song that you want me to play. That's cool, yeah. And then, I'll, and then for that song, you guys can all bring out your cell phones. And as soon, even with him making that deal, as soon as he turned his head, the cell phones would come back out. They, they can't stop. People are, they, it's unavoidable. Well, there's a new technology now. For example, Jack White have been using it. A little plastic bag that when you get to the venue, you put your cell phone in it and they are sealed in a plastic carrier and you cannot open it until the end of the show. So it's a cell phone free concert. You might be the one person that I know that's worked for an artist who actually sticks by that. Yeah, there's um, more and more, I've, I believe, more and more. You know, there's already, in some venues, they are blocking the cell phone signal. Yeah, you can do that now. So some, some venue block the cell phone signal, so you can take picture, but you cannot actually FaceTime or phone anybody. And is, that a, in, is that in France or is that in the U.S.? Is, is, that in, is in the world. Some, many venues are, are going behind this. A lot in the U.K., yeah. Wow. I, I'm interested to learn more about the legality of that, but mm-hmm. I, I don't know how you would catch somebody doing that. I well, well, it's like when you go to a basement, you don't have cell phone, right? You, right. You, then it's the same thing. When you go to through immigration at the airport, your phone doesn't work because they are jamming the signal. As long as I can still pay my candy crush while I'm waiting in line at the, uh, course, at the airport, I'm yes. okay. Yes, but, you know, this it's a way of not having having less cell phones. And Jack White went all the way with all those bags and, you know, put your bag in the bag and if you open it, you're kicked out of the concert. You don't, you don't get a refund. You are blacklisted. Uh, you guys were probably just old enough to remember when you couldn't bring any recording devices into a concert. Yeah? Can- yeah, I remember I went to Pearl Jam when I was probably <laughs> 15 or 16. And there was this big thing, because people used to bring disposable cameras. And there, like a lot of artists were like, no cameras at shows, no cameras at shows. And Pearl Jam was like, no, bring your cameras. Like, and so there was this big thing with security, because they wanted the fans to enjoy the show. And like, they, they pushed for lower ticket prices. They were always about the fan enjoying the experience. So there was a big thing that Pearl Jam was allowing people to bring in cameras, and then security pushing back and saying no cameras, and having that argument of, well, the band says we can sort of thing. And that was like 2000, probably about 2000, 2001. Yeah. Now you can't, other than a handful of artists, you just can't prevent it. It's no, you can't prevent You have to work with it. You have to embrace it, even though you don't want your videos seeing on YouTube like all crappy, but just make the most of it so it looks less crappy. <laughs> it's when you see your own show on YouTube, how do you feel when you, when you, are you your own worst critic when you're looking at your own thing, oh even, you, even though you know that it's a terrible representation? I can't watch my own shows. It's like listening to my own voice. I'm one of those people where I just, I, 
there's a certain amount where I like I'll watch it for for tech like if I if I notice that there's a note that I'm consistently having I'll watch it but otherwise it's just you notice your mistakes more than anybody else so that's all at least when I watch my shows all I see is like I hit that late took that too early that's not the right color green like that spot cue should be in a different color I'm constantly like picking those things so you're merely watching the YouTube for surgical technical reasons and you're trying to if I have to otherwise I don't yeah merely for archival purposes yeah well we were talking about dissociation a little earlier I do watch my show on YouTube for that sole purpose because I dissociation I don't remember (laughs) I mean I remember I know there's moment I want to see so I go on YouTube and and watch it as a dissociated person (laughs) it's like you're watching it for the first time yeah to critique Mm -hmm. it as as another person from being the person who ran the show yeah wow it's I wonder if that's in your head, I wonder if that's designed to protect yourself from being your own worst critique. Oh, I'm the worst, my worst critic all the time. But yeah, probably it's a defense mechanism or some, some weirdness. It protects you during the show to keep you to keep centered. My, yeah, to keep me centered. During the show, I'm like part of the band. I'm like right there with them. Just, you know, I have ever left everything behind. So when I go home, I watch on YouTube my show because I... Don't even remember. <laughs> being, taking from as being part of the band, can you drink during the show? Oh, it depends on uh, what artist. Okay. But yeah, it's yes. <laughs> Do you find it better to drink during the show? Depends on the artist. Okay. Yeah. How, how about you? Do you do you drink during the show? I prefer not to. Um, there were some earlier years when I, or like, you know, moments when I did. Um, like, my first, my first tour as an LD, um, production would go out with the artists after the show, and they wouldn't take care of us when we were loading out. They wouldn't have towels for showers. They wouldn't have after-show food. They were just not doing their role in being in the building at the end of the show. So it got to a point where I got really upset one night, and I just, I got blackout drunk during a show while running the show, like, I do not remember loading out. I do not remember running the show. The next morning, they were like, so what What was that last night? What happened? And I was like, I thought we were here to party. Like, you guys go out with the artists, and, like, you guys aren't taking care of, like, any of our, like, we don't have water on the bus. Like, I can't brush my teeth in the morning, it's like, unless I get, like, really basic needs are not being met, and that's your job. So if we're here to party, I'm here to party. That is so rock and roll. <laughs> That's a big middle finger right there. Like, hey, I have to show you what you're doing. We got water on the bus after that. I mean. <laughs> That's a brilliant way of yeah. protest. Our front of house engineer said that he turned over, he turned to look at me, and there was one point where I wasn't even at the console because I had just gone to the bar to get a refill. I was like, I don't, time-coded, whatever. You know, like, hmm. just went and got another drink. Yeah. Came back to fisting cocktails. That is like the rock and roll version of a hunger strike. You're like, no, I'm <laughs> yeah. gonna go on a on a but, sober on a sobriety yeah. strike. <laughs> yeah. Like if you guys aren't if you guys aren't gonna We're put your to love party. and effort into it, I'm yeah. I'm here to party too. Yeah. Um, so typically I don't I don't drink just because also if anything happens, I don't want it to be like, well, you missed it because you were drinking. Like I, I never want that to be 
a possible excuse for anything. And That's some, a very logical stance. Yeah, yeah, and then you know, there was another crew where like you know, I would have a beer between the opener and the headliner, and that was it. Like I just, and it was a summer shed tour, so I just have a like you know a cider between between the artists. And then the crew saw me doing it, so they would start drinking during the show. And I was like, that's not how that works. That's, <laughs> you guys have to, like, run motors and, like, deal with gear and things like yeah. that. So it's, I, I had to lead by example and not drink yeah. during work hours. You're not running heavy things over people's heads. Yeah. I'm like, I'm just pushing buttons on a console. Like, that's... So I had to lead by example. And so it's one of those things where I'm like, you know, I need to be more aware of that and, like, which designers I've worked with how they behave at front of house. Like in an overnight programming, there'll be bottles of wine, but typically during a show, yeah. they're doing the show. Yeah, I usually so. have a bottle of wine on my rider for every day, uh, for front of house rider. I have a like a local red or something? No, like a French Bordeaux. <laughs> a very specific. Because I'm a snob. But <laughs> yeah, I usually have a bottle of red for front of house at every show. It's on my rider. I share, though. Okay. <laughs> What about during the design process? Do you, same, same thing on the writer? Well, the design process is mostly on my house. Okay. So I have a nice wine cave. You're invited to come anytime. And <laughs> we can drink some French Bordeaux. <laughs> I've always been envious of the people who can uh, smoke weed or do more than drink during a design process because it's never, never worked for me. And I've seen some amazingly creative things come from people that can, they can do that. They can expand. They can open up their mind to new ideas that I would just never come up with. But I'm, I can't, I can't function. If I, if I smoke weed or something, I decide to disappear into my bedroom and yeah. close my eyes and put on music. And I don't, I can't push buttons. I don't function. Is that true for, are you? Well, all? for me, when I design or program or operate, it's very important that I'm myself. Okay. I just need to be myself. And it's not easy sometimes. So whatever it takes to find my balance on that day, on that, in that hour, on that moment, you know? It could be a little glass of wine. It could be a little joint. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it could be a coffee. Liter, liter of coffee. Oh, it can be fruit snacks. Love fruit snacks. I can have a box of sports snacks and like... You're constantly yeah. maintaining the intoxicant level it's to maintain the proper Gigi levels. Exactly. But every day I'm different. I feel different. And I have to tame that, that chromesthesia sometimes, that weirdness I have with the, the color, the perception of colors and noise. You know, when I hear sounds, it, I see colors and shape. It's very useful for doing lighting design, but sometimes that voice is very loud and I cannot focus on anything. So a little glass of wine might help. It could be an herbal tea, depending where I'm at, depending what day it is, but yeah. Uh, for, for certain artists that I've worked with, I know that the majority of the crowd is in a certain state of mind. I'm wondering sometimes if it's, if it's more beneficial for me to be in that state of mind or if I should be out of that state of mind to provide for them. Do you have any opinion on whether, where you, should you be part of the audience or should you be directing the audience? I feel it's, I mean, if it's something that is that immersive, you should stay in control to drive the car, you know? Like stay behind the steering wheel, 
decide where that journey is going. If you're going to shake, take a sharp turn, or if you're going to like, you know, go up a hill and then like drop down, like be able to control that. And it depends on what you feel as a person. Like I personally, I, I don't smoke. Me and weed don't get along. So for me, it wouldn't be a useful tool for me. Um, instead, I would just probably crawl under the table and be paranoid and go to sleep. Yeah. Um, whereas like a glass of wine would be like a way to loosen up and like, just get loose, you know, but uh, it depends on the situation. Okay. Uh, if somebody comes to you after the show and you don't respect their opinion, but they give it to you anyway, does that ever affect you? Like, say, uh, Johnny Bumblefoot from, the, from Little Rock, Arkansas, just finished your show. He's like, hey, hey, sound girl, it looked terrible. Does that, does that get to you? I had a woman come up to me. Uh, I was out with Derek Huff Live, and it's a dance theatrical thing. And it's you know meant for theaters and smaller, so it's a very limited lighting rig, and a lot is done with it. Um, and it's also this entire thing time-coded and programmed in about five days. Benny Kirkham is a beast. He's amazing. He knocks it out. Like Him and Peter do phenomenal work. And so it's a very theatrical, very professional, a lot jammed into this show in a very short period of time. We are at um, an arena, the one at the uh, uh, Mohegan Sun, Connecticut. And there is a break in the middle of the show and this woman comes to front of house and she's like, excuse me, excuse me. And I was like, yes, can I help you? And she's like, I'm sorry, but who, I have a lot of notes to give you about this show. And I was like, I, I appreciate your input. Um, and she's like, well, you know, I'm a, I'm a local theater designer and I could have done this so much better with, with park hands and Lico's. And I was like, I, that is a, a great skill to have and I, I respect that and thank you for your input. Um, I can put you in touch with management if you want to put in a bid for any of their future shows. <laughs> and that, that is fantastic. And she, she just kept giving me notes and I was like, I appreciate your input. And the audience around her is just laughing at her at, at this point. And so she, you know, we, we start up the show again. She comes back at the end of the show. And she's like, excuse me, do you have a piece of paper and a pen? I was like, here you go. So she writes a note to the artist that I'm supposed to deliver <laughs> in which she tears apart my stuff and how it's a really, it's a good show, but it could be fantastic with her help. And she would love to sit down and go over the format with him if he has any time. So I take this note. And you know, I wait for her to leave, and I wait, I wait for the, and I open, I'm just reading. I was like, oh my god, this is great. I'm like laughing, reading it on radio to like the rest of the crew. Um, I bring it to uh, the artist's assistant, and I was like, oh my god, you gotta hear this. And she's like, oh my god, he will love this. So she gave it to the artist, and the artist was like, oh my god, yeah, Emily, you're just, because you guys are just terrible. This is the worst show. And he was like just laughing about this woman having this superior like attitude about this have you ever told Peter that story oh yes I immediately was like oh my like, texted Peter and sent him a picture of the letter and I was like get this and he was like did you catch her name and I was like oh no I didn't because her, her signature is all scribbly and he was like oh man I wish I could Facebook stalk her and find out like what she's done and wow like, because I'm, Pe I'm <laughs> we Peter so Morse, and... We were so curious, like, what is this woman's background? Like, what has she done, like? I, wrote, I lit carousel at my local 
community theater. Barbra Streisand refuses to do shows without me. Like, yeah, like Peter Morse. I'm assuming that uh, it didn't affect you much. No, no, I, I laughed. I, I, there was nothing I could do but laugh. You just uh, brushed that right off your shoulder and... Uh, yeah, the, I, I really love saying I appreciate your input. Whenever anyone comes up from the audience or someone's assistant who has nothing to do with anything, I'm like, I really appreciate your input. Thank you. We're in a world now where a lot of uh, artists' assistants become their their handler, and their, sometimes their opinion matters. I, I, sometimes. Have you, have you come across that yet, where the, the artist's assistant opinion matters enough to that you should be aware of their input? I'm always aware of who's surrounded who, who's surrounding who, and the circle of influence, but... Uh, mostly for the artists I work with, and I got maybe lucky in my 20 years of career, but I work with, I, they need, the artists need to give me full confidence. That's why I don't really work with notes, at least from the band. Okay. Because in my point of view, it always looks like a sound. And most of the artists feel that way too. They feel, my, they feel me and I feel them. And it's a, it's a commute, you know, it's a, I don't know, confidence vote, you know, really. So if they don't trust me, if the artists don't trust me, then I don't, I don't really do the job. It sounds like you have a bit more of a family feel to your design process. Yeah, it, that's, the, that's what I always say. It looks like it sounds. It, it should look like it feels regardless of the technical aspect or the challenge you got every day with the thing. It's just every day I have a different feeling. So, you know, the band, the band needs to feel me. And if they feel me, then they're on board. And if they're on board, their assistant is not coming to ask me to change things. You know, like I've had a glorious piece <laughs> for 20 years, basically. Like, except when I was, I mean... When I was working with that very specific artist, and I'm not going to say the name, that was very particular, uh, came to a friend of ours to call lighting cues, and he, told, he asked me, he's like, come on, give me hope. And that's it. And then I give him hope somehow, and I never had another, um, I never notes from him. Wow, so would you say that you're taking your relationship past a employer-employee relationship with your artists? I try to be in their music. I try to be in their head. Their creative process with the music is the same path I should take in creative process in lighting. Why did they write those songs? How did they write those songs? What period? What they feel like? What the message was? That's, I, I just try to be in their head and make it look like it sounds in their head. You know? And make it organic it's like my goal is for them to tell me at the end of the show oh I felt you because if you felt me I mean I was on stage with you I mean the lighting corresponded to your music and your vibe and your what you wanted to see even though you didn't know what you wanted to see that's you know that it's a different <laughs> it's a different path definitely oh man I've had a few artists I would I would cringe to be in their head for even a moment <laughs> Oh yeah, that's that's not easy. 
I'm not saying it's easy. You're going every in day. Some, some adventurous places there. Oh yeah, yeah. Reverse psychology, diving in like childhood drama. <laughs> you know, like I wrote that song about my dad, and like, okay, well that is that color because. When you were young, you were in Kentucky with your dad working the farm. It's that color. You know, it's, I, I can't even ex- explain it. <laughs> that, is a, that, is a, that is brave. It's, it's a different process. I, don't, I, I work for myself. I don't work with another designer telling me what to, you know, how to do the thing. And so I'm, I have total freedom. Complete freedom. And most of the artists I work for give me total freedom, too. If they feel me once, done. Wow. Can you relate to this? I, this is the opposite for me. I'm, I'm, I, I could listen to that stuff all day because that is the complete <laughs> polar opposite of my system. And I'm, I'm sure that we're both very high-functioning designer directors, but that, you're, uh, you're blowing <laughs> my mind right now. Well, this is, yeah, this is a, just a different approach. I don't have a formal training or anything. I just love music and musicians. And I wanted to work with music musicians. I, I feel the power of music. I think the message music, music basically saved my life. I want to be a part of it, but I can't sing. I can't, I can barely talk. <laughs> uh, I can't play any instrument, but I was an art student and I know what color can do for emotions. And that's, that's my way of expressing myself. You know, I used to paint and draw and like photograph, but lighting is my way of expressing myself. My designs are personal expressions that need to be out of me. It's not a work. Sadly, sadly it's not work. It's, uh, it's, it's my cross. <laughs> I need to do this. And so when you put that out there, are you looking for any feedback or, or do you care about the feedback at all? I do care of the feedback. The feedback is the most important. They need to tell me that they felt me, that it was right, that it was, they were, they was right. There's no word, there's no other word than it was just right. But what if you know it's right and somebody else says that it's wrong? Who's the somebody else? If the somebody else is the one writing the song, then I might rethink it. I might just think that I didn't read him well. Okay. If there's somebody else, is someone from the management at the office, then I cannot care Let's less. say it's the same woman that, that stalks Emily and goes to Emily shows and oh, thinks yeah. that she's a better designer than you are. I'll be, I'll be smiling her, at her. Maybe You'll pass her off the same? Yeah, maybe offering her a glass of wine and apologizing because she's almost better than me. I'm so sorry. <laughs> but I can give you a glass of wine. How's your process? Are you, are you that involved with the artists? I'm, I'm not. I, am, I don't immerse myself personally into the experience of the artist. Um, it's just not my process. But I mean, I did go to school and like, you know, the text analysis and colors and uh, different, uh, you know, different musical tonations implying different, you know, like, oh, it's minor chords, it's sad. It's major chords, it's happy. So happy is these colors. And, you know, the, the basic math of building it, you know, and like uh, basic structures. So, I mean, for me, it's it's very much like a, a process that I've kind of been through several times where it's like, you know, you have the actual structural thing of it, you have whether it's happy or sad and understanding through the text analysis of where does this go, where are the, where are the changes in movements and, you know, realizing what moments indicate 
motivation for a change in the visuals. And it's for, it's for me, I don't think about it when I do that, but that's part of the process going on in the background. Um, and it was funny because um, this last summer, uh, yeah, I was out with uh, Lil Wayne designing for him and programming. And um, there was one song and it sounds like a love song. And you know, just going through the, the lyrics and everything and how it sounds, it was, it's a love song and it's, it's hopeful and like, yeah, this is gonna be great. Uh, so me and the video director were talking about and you know, going like, oh, what do you have? What do you think? And he, I was like, oh, like, you know, like when I hear this, I picture like laying underneath a tree and having a picnic with you know, a loved one and like going through these like emotional things and like building up emotional trust. And he's like, have you ever seen the music video? And I was like, no. And so he, we sat and watched it. And it's about like a child who doesn't have the love of her, her father. And so like basically throughout the story ends up like getting AIDS and like, like it's this, this like terrible depressing video. And I was like, it ended and I was like, how do we light AIDS? Like, because like, <laughs> I had gotten something completely different. So we're like, where do we want to take this song now? Like what is, is that, is the video necessarily the artist's intention with the song? Or, you know, like, where do we want to choose to take this? Which narrative do we want to use? So sometimes it's the creative of finding the narrative that's appropriate for a situation. Because there could be several different options sometimes. Do you find yourself taking the lead on these sort of visions? Or do you find yourself receiving more input from, so from that sort of thing? Do you, when you're with the artist... Do they give you the direction that they want to go, or do you find yourself presenting ideas for directions to go? I always present ideas for directions. Okay. But I'm willing also, I take any inputs. You know, one time, that other artist, I'm not going to say the name, is like, I'm like, okay, so it's my first day with you. Uh, what do you like? He's like, I like Star Wars. And left. I'm like, <laughs> okay. But that was cool. all the input. The entire input. It's like, give me hope. Like, okay, well, I guess I'm taking the lead on this. I'll follow you. I mean, they always have the lead on stage. You just, I just follow them. My creative process is not that creative. I'm just, I told you, the filter. And yeah, just a filter. How about you, Emily? Do you find yourself taking the lead or do you find yourself receiving input and then translating that into what's gonna look best? It depends on the artist because, like I said, some artists are extremely invested in their show and they have an idea and they have, you know, some artists have very specific and they will send you images or similar things and they will, they will build the image boards and other times you'll be the one to build the image boards or it depends on the artist and what they, like how invested they are or even like their technical knowledge because they might have no clue and they might be like, just make it look dope. Yeah, just make it look dope. I had that like two weekends ago. Yeah. What do you want? Make it look dope. Yeah. Okay. Cool. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> How do you deal with people who have very specific requirements? And I know that I, I always it. go back to you <laughs> when I think of somebody who has been given very specific, yeah. very limiting restraint. That's the best. That, is that it's, where you it's, thrive? It's the best for me. Yeah. It's the best for me because I need to be creative and boring and still making a lot of emotion pass with a limited amount of input. It gets me more creative. 
less so complacent. You know, somebody comes to you and say, look, you can do whatever you want as long as everything's orange all the time. Yeah, and 10% intensity. I had an artist that would not do, he had a Meniere disease. So it's an in-ear de degenerative disease that makes his balance whack when there is too much intensity on lighting, motion, or any effect. So you still need to do an hour, 30-minute show. He, won't, he likes Star Wars, <laughs> you know, lasers. <laughs> uh, he wanted a big rock show, but at 10% intensity, no strobe and no motion then you have to get creative to give him what he wants. That's where the challenge is. That's where it's fun to do what we do. And no content. Oh, no, no content. Just free fly it. A 10% rock show with no movement. No 10%. Strokes, no gobos, no rotation. Have you ever gotten uh, such a specific design path that you had to follow? That you, you your, your first content was that's impossible. You can't. My first response to that is, that's impossible. Yeah, yeah but, but it's not. Actually, it's not. If you, I mean, I'm going to be crude, but take your ass out of your ass, you know? <laughs> like, there's ways of making it. Like, like Jack White, just blue. Like, oh, there's, there's so many things we can do with blue. So many different shades of blue just with intensity. So, and it's, it's challenging. It's what the, the fun of it all, because... Nowadays, you get like a 300 moving light rig that moves all the time and blah, blah, blah. But it's cool, you know? Like, I saw some amazing shows, but you don't have any restriction. Therefore, it's not very interesting to watch, you know? What's the most specific requirement you've ever been given as a, from a design standpoint? I mean, there, there are some that are song-specific that I've had. Um, but I think overall is like a sweeping like rule with an artist was Charlie XCX. Make it pink, strobe it, make sure she looks good. Okay. And that's it. Those are the only three notes that were Evan ever given to me. Um, I was brought in, she was, we were doing a festival thing, my first show with her once. And they were like, all right, so she wants to talk to you. We're like, we're about to go on in like 10, 15 minutes. And she's like, she wants to talk to you about video notes. And I was like, video notes? Oh, oh. well, this, this is all right. I don't know if I have time. Okay, we'll go in. Expecting to get like song by song. Like during the breakdown, I want this, some sort of thing. 15 minutes before we're going, I'm like freaking out. I go back there and she's like, yeah, just have fun. Go mental. And I was like, okay, that's, those are my notes cool <laughs> you know like so, so there's yeah. like this tension of like there's gonna be all these very specific because I'm artists like you know on that bridge this has happened I want everything to turn blue I want like this red on the chorus I want strobes during the thing and they're very so it's like you get that anticipation of having that and then you find out okay never mind just have fun with it but keep it pink and strobe it and make sure she looks good those are probably my favorite moments when you've got a uh an opening band that just came up and they're going to they're going to give you x amount and they've just got the song list with a color suggestion <laughs> yeah. and a vibe i can i can rock those out all day long i mean it's like okay this song and as long as i can hear the, the as long as they stick to the set list i can usually give them exactly what they want and i'll usually get some pretty good feedback because i, I at least have a jumping off point uh, yeah. this song should be purple and ethereal I can usually make that happen. Does that, 
Does, does that happen to you too? Do you oh, get? Yeah. I frequently have bands that don't have a set list. For example, Jack White again doesn't run a set list. We don't even have one printed. There's no set list printed nowhere. He plays what he wants whenever he wants, where he wants. Yeah. <laughs> Luckily, I'm completely numb to opening band feedback. I've been. <laughs> I don't know if that's just something that we all have, or if it's just uh, a a uh, a monetary input versus care level ratio that is necessary. Yep, yep, I yeah. think that's it. <laughs> I find the more I get paid, the more I care about their input. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. It's like, well, you know, you're paying me $25 to do your opening act a day, so you're getting $25 worth of effort. Yeah, for me, it really depends on who it is. Some... I'm going to say uh, that one band I toured with at the drive-in was the LD4 at the drive-in, and the opening band was the Butcherettes. The Butcherettes is one of my favorite bands of all time. Kick-ass band. And I, we, I would refuse that our LD would run lights for them. I don't care if I spend three hours behind a console every night. I would refuse to see them lit by someone that would be less good because I love that band. So I would do it myself to give them justice. Because sometimes opening band are better than the main act. Sometimes they're nicer. Sometimes they're better. You've you know? just added another facet to the ratio. There's the, the monetary uh, ratio. Yeah, that's never been part of my, my thing. There's the respect <laughs> ratio. Yeah. Does, the, does the gratefulness ratio? Yes, if, if, the, if the butcherettes absolutely. are thankful, absolutely. will you put in extra? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Please, thank you. goes a long way in this business. Yeah. You know it. Yeah, I do. I, yeah. I preach it from the choir as often as possible that yeah. if, I, if I like and respect you, you're going to get a, a better deal yeah. than if I don't yeah. like you. Exactly, you get a better deal. And on top of it, if your art is good, then I'm in. Then, okay, I'm in. You know, I need that. I need it. It's fulfilling to me, you know. Without naming names, have you ever had to work for somebody you didn't <laughs> respect? And that do you, you, you put a, a higher bid than Res normal? Respect is a strong word. Um, <laughs> I mean, I feel, I feel in a way, even the, you know, the particular artists that I've worked with where I've been like, I don't agree with this person, they're maybe not my favorite person. I wouldn't want to have a cup of coffee with this person. I still respect them as an artist and for having that input and dedication and you know just being that committed to their work and their art that they are that strongly opinionated like I there's a part of me that respects that I don't necessarily want to be their best friend but I can respect that so it's very difficult it's it's a people that um, just want 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 don't really have a reason for it, and they're just, you know, there, there's certain artists where they, they don't invest themselves, and I'm like, you, I, I can't respect that sometimes, but you still have to, in a way. Does that make your rate go up? Oh, man, um, I mean, it doesn't necessarily affect my rate sometimes, but it'll affect if I come back and do the next leg or the okay. leg after that. Okay, it definitely affects your care level. Yeah. Because, I mean, you can pay me more and more and more, but if I really hate the gig, I don't care how much you pay me, I, 
I, I won't do it anymore. Yeah. You know, like it, it's, you can't always love your job, but when you're on the road with something for months at a time, you cannot be miserable. And there's only a certain price point on that. And it's one of those things where you can go like, all right, you know, if you pay me a little bit more, I'll do another leg. And then once I finish that, you're like, that's my FU money. I'm out of here. Yeah. What do you find to be the best token of appreciation from the, from the artist? Uh, on top of a paycheck, would you say just a, a verbal thank you or like a, can I buy you drinks or can no. I throw a party for you or? Just the fact that they feel me on stage is the best reward. They just need to feel that we are a team and that's the best reward for me, really. Oh You're such an admirable purist. Yeah, that's why I'm unemployed right now. <laughs> How about you? What's the best token of gratefulness or token of appreciation that you've... I mean, I'm not going to, you know, paycheck is great too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, First and foremost is paycheck. <laughs> for me, it's not getting notes. The wow. fact that they, they trust you. Yeah. They exactly. know that if, if something's wrong, you're going to see it, you're going to fix it. Yeah. The fact that they trust you and that they don't give you notes and that they're not coming up to you. Like, having their trust for me is yeah. the, the greatest thing ever. It's when they're coming up and constantly giving notes or like, hey, hey this, hey that, or like micromanaging my job. That's, that's when yeah. they can step back and know that they don't have to worry about the lighting, that is the biggest compliment. Yeah, the, exactly the same. It's just full confidence. You know, you hear, oh, Emily's here or Gigi's here. It's fine. Yeah. Stick out that. <laughs> I got to feel that, but from somebody else. I was out in front of house at the joint in Las Vegas, and Blondie came up and gave me this big hug. She's like, oh, my God, I'm so glad you're here. It's been great. I'm so happy to see you. This is, I know everything's going to be all right tonight. And I didn't have the heart to tell that I'd never met her before, and she didn't know who I was. <laughs> Oh, that's so good, though. But I, I, if, if something in my face gave her the feeling that you're talking about right now, then I'm glad that I could be there to help her, even though she had no idea what you're I... like, this show better not suck or I'm in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> She'll yeah. find me. She knows my face. I wish I knew who she was actually <laughs> looking for, because I would definitely relay the message that she has ultimate trust and confidence in him. Yeah. Uh, I would imagine it's another six-foot-tall goateed man, but uh, I, I will never know who that person was. I would love to, if you're listening right now, and you're the LD for Blondie, she really loves and respects you. And she doesn't know what you look like. Yeah. Um, to tie it, to kind of bring it back, what is the best way that you are able to self-validate because I know we don't always get a lot of attaboys out on the road. We don't get people coming to you like, hey, I wanted to let you know that when you chose red for that song, that was the perfect color, and you chose that exactly right. How do you return to the bus night after night saying, and, and know in your heart that you, you made the right decisions? Well, I change my show every day. So what? when the song is red, if it's red, but sometimes I want to try green, I'm just going to change it to green. And if it feels better in green, then I was wrong the first time. 
That's it. <laughs> I change my show every night. You're like a mad scientist out in front I, of house, just I, trying I, new ingredients. Yeah, because every time, I mean, the song might be the same, but they're not played the same. The venue is different. The audience is different. You know, the band is different. Might be tired. They might be drunk. They might be whoever knows what. And there's a different feeling coming from them. Your validation and, comes from trial and error, then. Oh, yeah. Uh, error. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Error. All the time. Mistakes. This is my, <laughs> this is my career. <laughs> right there. Constantly upgrading yourself. Changing every day, because... It doesn't. If it doesn't feel the same, then I don't do the same. I, I, as I told you, chromesthesia does that to me. Wow. With like the reverberation of the sound in a room, or if the room is white, or the ceiling's lower, or if it's a theater, it sounds different. And if it sounds different, it looks different. I can't help it. It's just the way it is. So. Well, if I'm your audience is it. different every night, then clearly the the vibe is going to be different. Yeah. And you're willing to put your ego completely aside and just go with I change I'm, I'm designer operator programmer if there's someone can, that can change the show that's me <laughs> you know I don't need validation for anybody to tell me oh this songs would be better in green it's just if it feels green that day I'll change it to green because why not it's not, you know, it's not art surgery. It's lighting. You better have fun with it. You know, you get a million dollar rig in the air, like changing green or yellow from time to time. You know, <laughs> like play with it, change it. You know, pre-production is a thing, but it's a near. It's like a time frame before the tour when you program. It's completely different than on the road in Kentucky somewhere. You know, like. I'm gonna go out on a limb here and say you don't do time coded. No. <laughs> shows. No. No. No, I'm a busker. Hmm. How about you? How do you, how do you self-validate? How do you, how do you finish a show and you're like, yeah, I did, I did it right. I feel like I guess I'm constantly. I feel like I'm constantly um, having to remind myself that there's no right way to light something. Ooh, you good can, one. You can take 10 designers. I was talking about this in another thing earlier as well. Like, you can take 10 designers, have them all design or program the same thing, and you'll have 10 completely different looking things. There might be some similarities, you know, some overlap. But, I mean, there's no right choice. <laughs> the, the, the benefits of yeah. podcasting live from Nam is that we get to <laughs> yeah. some Little Wayne. That was a Little Wayne. Who was, who was little, that? Little John. Little John, sorry. And Usher. I've just Urcher. aged, I've just, uh, aged myself there. <laughs> um, but yeah, just, just remembering that there's no right way to do it. Um, also, just because like minor keys are sad and that should be blue doesn't mean it actually has to be blue. I mean, like you can break the rules. There are no actual rules. Yep, that is no rules. Yeah. And also, what you think might look good or bad, somebody else might have a completely different feeling or opinion on. Um, so, I mean, as long as you're bold enough to make the choice in the first place. So, I fully agree with you, and I embrace that to its fullest extent. Until recently, I had an artist ask me to do something where he wanted the house lights on the whole show. Yeah. And it was at a festival, and... I walked away from my show after, I, I walked away from the desk after the show, and there were three other LDs that kind of looked at me like, so was that a choice you made? 
Is that a thing that you do? Are you Chris Lose, the guy that does shows with the house lights on? I feel like there's there's a lot of times where my, me and my friends are talking about different design things and like, well, that's that's you know, like somebody did something really bizarre, and the the phrase is always, well, that's a choice. Yeah, and I I wanted to. I had to bring my ego back. I'm really good at throwing my ego away, but I had to bring my ego back and say, well, no, that's not a choice I made. I would never make that choice. You have to, I have to explain to you that that's not a choice that I would make and I would never do that again, but my hands are tight and I was asked to do that. And so out of respect for my artists, I, I did that and I'll do it again and again and again and again. But I, I fought that fight. I fought that fight. I, I, you know, I, I charged I up that hill, but I lost. I showed up to an awards thing once, televised overseas, and um, five minutes before going on stage, the artist says, I don't want spotlights. <laughs> Having to go to the DP and like, all these people and go like, hey, so um, I know that you guys are paying him to be here because you want his face on the TV, but he does not want his face seen. He's going to wear a ski mask, and he does not want spotlights. Also, stop lighting the audience so much. I know, and then you explain to them, like, I know that that sucks. That's not how I want to light it. You guys can take that input in a way that you can. It is coming from my artist, from my paycheck. I understand that it is a bad choice. And if you guys want to go and fight this, I'm, like, free to have that conversation argument with his management and whoever needs to be involved. But if you guys could throw me a bone here and just make my day easy and just not use spotlights for these five minutes, I would really, I, I get that it sucks, but I'd appreciate that. And they were totally like, that's fine. That's fine. It's five minutes of the show. Cool. And you, you won that battle. I don't think it was winning, <laughs> but uh, my, my employer was very happy. Congratulations. Yeah. It, it's hard to make him happy, so... And, uh, and your paycheck rewarded you. Yes, my paycheck rewarded me. Have you ever had to bring your ego back in and say, no, look, yes. you've gone too far? Yeah. Yes, I would say. Uh, UG go, though, so it took time to get there. But, uh, yes, I'm, you know, we're, we're not artists. We are, if anything, architects. That means we do have an employer, we have to follow rules. Artists don't follow rules. We do. We have a client, therefore it's artisana. It's not art. And if you have a set of rules like this, you just have to abide by it, you know? You have an employer and you have to follow the rules, but I use a lot of reverse psychology with the artists, not saying that what they think is dumb or that's not the way I would do it, but by bringing a different, different vibe to the conversation. Like, oh yeah, well, that's great. I saw that in like Japanese architecture, or blah, blah. trying to drown the fish, as we say in French, drown the fish. And, uh, and it, it works. Yeah? Yeah, there's uh, many times where I've had my artists go and see somebody else's show with Hayes, and then they'll come back to my show, which was a no Hayes show, and they'll tell me, well, why doesn't my show look like that? And I would have to tell them, well, it's your own 
rules mm -hmm. that are getting in the way of making your show look like yeah. that. Yeah. With Hayes, your show does look like that. And, and, I, and I fought that fight, and you, you beat me. Like, I, I tried to convince you already. And that's a, that's a tough one where you have to disagree or you have to say, hey, no, this is... There are rules in this one in this one perspective right here where you have to, you you beat me on on that uh, that compromise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's difficult. Uh, it's always a weird questioning because you don't know if they're right or you're right. At some point, you don't. At which know point what, we just have to call Emily and have her remind us that nobody's right. No, nobody's right. She's completely right. Flip there the is coin. No right ways. You're right that nobody's right. All right, spotlights or no spotlights? Heads or tails? Yeah. As you need to be a little psychologist when you do lighting, too. When you do this business, as far as sound or backlight, you just need to be a little a psychologist. Oh, and being able to talk to the artists and to kind of artists, calm yeah. them down and have a constructive conversation. Like, why are you so upset? Yeah. Is there a particular thing? It's like a toddler. Thing? <laughs> it's like a toddler Communicate sometimes. with me. Like, yeah. is, there, is, it, is, is it a certain song? Is it a certain color? Is it a certain... What particularly is chapping you about this? Like, why are you so... Communicate. Because I can change it. If you're that upset about something, it can be changed. Yeah. Unless you tell me, I'm not going to read your mind and know that, oh my God, that chorus is the wrong color. Every time... That chorus, uh, one more time, I'm gonna flip this table. I don't know that you're gonna flip a table if I do that right again. Tell me. Yeah. How can I, how can I make this the show that you want it to be? That's my yeah. job, that's what I'm here for, communicate. And calming them down and giving suggestions and opening dialogues and finding out why they're making that decision so that way you can anticipate how to best do it and not necessarily even how they want to or if they don't want to, figuring out how to better make it. Yeah. Yeah, tell mommy why do you, you don't want to eat your broccolis, you know? Yeah. Do you need a new diaper? <laughs> yeah, do you need, tell, tell mommy, mommy, you know? <laughs> I can't Gigi, just smell it from the Emily, I, I could continue this conversation for hours. I feel like we're going to have to take this over to the Parnellis tonight to continue this conversation. We have reached the end of our time because we have so many more things to do tonight. I could easily continue this well onto the night, especially if we had a bottle of wine between the three of us. We'll have to finish that tonight. Yep. Thank you guys so much for coming <laughs> and doing this podcast with me. I feel like you've given us all a lot to think about. I feel like we can all t come away that we all have different processes, that we all come up with similar outcomes. Yeah. And uh, thank you so much for the time. Well, thank Chris. Yeah, thank you for uh, Again, us. my name is Chris Lose. I've been sitting down here with Gigi Padron and Emily Bornt. And uh, this podcast has been brought to you by PLSN and TimelessJobs.com. Thank you very much.